0: Hello, guys! Thanks for tuning in to the Not the Top Twenty podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, alongside me, George Ellick. This week, League One and League Two, they were in action on the weekend as the Championship teams had a bit of time off. Those who aren't on international duty, anyway. And it was a fascinating weekend. Of course, it was. A, it's in our interest to say that. B, it actually was. And C. We are in the midst of the run-in, and so there's always interesting things to talk about. So League One and League Two on the agenda today. Uh, we should mention that Terrestrial Highlights show us Quest announced that the show will be extending to two hours from its normal 90 minutes, from now until the end of the season. Now, this is a big thing, a big commitment for Quest, and will mean more time on League One and League Two. So we caught up, or I caught up, with Colin Murray Uh, to talk us through it, and he explains the decision, explains why he campaigned so hard from it. That will be in the middle of the podcast between League One and League Two section. George, at the top of League One, is where we're going to start. Luton march on. They beat Doncaster 4-0, and they are 26 unbeaten. I'm going to frame the start of the show. I'm just going to read out what Matty Blair said before the game. Matty Blair, Doncaster midfielder, very talented player as well he said I've said it from day one I believe we're the best team in the league we're just not the most consistent we've got nine games to go and I'm fully confident 100% that we can win all nine I know Luton haven't lost at home all season and it'll be a tough game but I'm confident we can go there and get a result when we played Luton back in September I thought they were the best team we've played but we're better than them that's no disrespect to anybody that's just what I believe so this weekend it's the best team in the league against the most consistent team in the league
1: yeah, he looks like a bit of an idiot now, to be fair. Um, but but he has to believe that. So I, I don't think. I mean, he's going to obviously deal with some um, some ribbing from his fellow professionals. He did
0: all, all of Saturday after, um, he did.
1: but uh, but he's obviously he knows it's a very big game. Um, I'd be surprised if he, if he actually believed most of what he said, given the run of form that they're on which has obviously continued after the the hammering at Kenilworth Roads. Um, it's probably a case of of just trying to lift the fans and lift the players and instill some belief into them. He's an experienced guy. He's, he's, been, he's been at the club for a while and he's been around at a few clubs at, at this level. So not a massive shock to hear him try and G them up. And uh, I'm sure he's not too embarrassed that it hasn't really paid off. For um for a lot
0: of teams in the EFL, or for almost every team in the EFL, you will have a blip at some point. A blip maybe stretching five games, maybe six games. We've seen um, Portsmouth had a very high-profile one. If we're looking at the top of League One, uh, I suppose Sunderland, there was that period where they were drawing so many games, five out of seven or something similar. Luton's blip was basically drawing to Coventry beating Rochdale but only scoring two, drawing to Plymouth, beating Bradford but only scoring one and drawing well, I guess, two all with Gillingham. I
1: guess their blip was the first few weeks of the season, wasn't it?
0: The first three games. Lost yeah. to Portsmouth, drew with Sunderland, lost to Peterborough. Just
1: acclimatising to their new surroundings, you know? Or maybe it's still to come. Just remind
0: listeners why we liked Luton before the season and what you think about them now, basically.
1: Well, I, I think the... They were for two years in a row, in my opinion, the best team in League Two. And a lot of people get angry at that because they'll say the best team finished at the top and and all that stuff. But, but, you know, you can still form an opinion based on, um, you know, even if, for example, even if Sunderland pit Barnsley to to third position this season, for example, I would still say that one team, in my opinion, over the season was better. Um, And I think Luton, um, for whatever reason, had complacency issues, which meant that they didn't go up two years ago and then didn't win the league last season. Um, but in terms of, of the way that the style of football they played and, and the way that when they clicked, um, it was obvious that they were the team who would be able to step up the best. And we've seen that this season and, and even since Nathan Jones has left, they've continued to do so. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with, with the managerial um, situation in the summer. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that they are just riding the crest of a wave and have done for so long. And, and, and the work that went into this squad and into this run um, and into this rise up the leagues took a few years And and that's why it's sustainable.
0: Yeah, you talk about the managerial situation. That's another remarkable part of this Luton story. Nathan Jones, the man, you would say, who led them upwards and took them towards the very top of League One, uh, obviously left for Stoke. And Mick Harford has been in caretaker charge, has been in interim charge since then. And his quotes are amazing. He keeps saying... I'd basically try and keep myself to myself, basically try not to say too much to the players um, because I don't feel like I can add that much because the players are just so on it, they're so motivated, they're so uh, at one with the system right now that I don't really need to do much. Now, this flies in the face of a lot of how we analyse football and how we think of football. And I don't just mean us, but sort of general fans in across the world. The, the idea that, you can have a manager that isn't really doing much. You know, we're going to talk about managers who have been sacked today. Two managers on Sunday were sacked. We're going to talk about what they might have done better, whether it was fair or not, and who might come in and have a massive impact. Well, Luton, to all intents and purposes, don't have a manager at the moment, and uh, they haven't suffered at all for it, which is uh, kind of fascinating. Speaks to the squad building that they did, which you touched on there. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Jack Stacey. Uh, He's the right-back for Luton. When we've spoken about Luton before, we've often spoken about James Justin, uh, the young uh, left-back who is right-footed, would nominally or would probably rather play a right-back, but has been pushed to the left because of um, the form of Jack Stacey this season and what he offers the team. That has been abundantly clear all season, but no more so than on the weekend. And in the last few weeks, Stacey has been a one-man wrecking ball down the right side. We've spoken about how when you play a diamond formation... The attacking output of your fullbacks is so important. And if the opposition can stop them and can mark them out the game, things can get a bit stodgy. Things can, can, can sort of break down in the centre of the park. While Stacey, in the way that he beats his man, how powerful he is um, running with the ball, uh, his unbelievable stamina to be able to play this role and play so many games this season... And also his his final ball uh, in the final third, even shown off some decent finishing ability this season. He's absolutely sensational. And um, he was all over it on the weekend. Now, excitingly, we've got uh, uh, an update football index wise. We've got a few new players being added to the platform, George.
1: Yeah, we do. And Stacey is one of them, as you mentioned. Um, I think him and uh, James Justin's already up there. They will be very exciting players in the championship. Even If they, if they stay at Luton, that will be exciting. And obviously if they move on, they could be as well. I know that Jack Stacey um, was quite close to leaving in the summer um, to a club higher up the pyramid. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see people coming back in for him. We've also got Elliot Embleton, who's of course had a fantastic season at Grimsby, on loan from Sunderland. Uh, Callum Robertson, Robinson, who's been fantastic for Preston, but obviously been out with an injury for the last few months. Um, Krim. Hmm.
0: Kareem Mirabti. Yeah, we Murabti. had a request for him. They signed him in January uh, and he'll be added to the platform as well.
1: That's the first time I've ever said it said his name. I didn't even say it, so I just said Kareem. Uh, Giovanni Brown, of course, from Cambridge, um, a very, very exciting player indeed. The aforementioned Jack Stacey, uh, Peli Radikampandu at Luton, who looks to have, to have a huge future, and Marcus Brown. Uh, on loan from West Ham at Oxford. It was known that a lot of teams in the championship were keen to take him off Oxford's hands in January. Um, So it wouldn't be a surprise to see him get a fairly lively loan again next season. So those are the players going up on Thursday. Um, The ones I think we both agree on, Stacey. Um, I, having seen a lot of Marcus Brown this season, it would be a huge shock <laughs> if he wasn't playing at, at, at a few levels above the one he's currently at at the moment. So he's probably one for the future as well. Quite inconsistent,
0: Brown though, isn't he? Like
1: I, I think his consistency issues, consistency issues, are n- possibly down to the competition for places in his position. So he rarely gets um, a run of games in the t- uh, run run of games in the team consistently, and he's had fitness issues as well all season. So. Whilst I, I, I get that, and this is the first time he's ever played first-team football as mm-hmm. well. It's his first proper loan because the one at Wigan didn't really go to plan. plan. Um, and then Pellegrado Campanzi is another player who I think is obviously destined for f- far greater than, than League One football. So they're the three that I'm most interested in.
0: Yeah, I've uh, cleared the decks to an extent in my portfolio ahead of these uh, players being released. You so you? I So um, I removed... got out of a few. I have got out of a few. I got out of a few. Of a few. Um, yeah, yeah. For Proff. I think I was even on, on Jay Rodriguez. My thinking with him was... Rodriguez is worth something like 75p and at the time I bought him it struck me that if West Brom went on a run and got promoted or even got to the playoffs where you know they'd be in the news in the media and Rodriguez was a key player uh, then he he could be flying upwards now that's not not happening necessarily but uh, I wanted to Create a bit of space. I didn't want to put too much more money into the platform, if I was honest. (laughs) Uh, So, create a bit of space, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting involved, seeing what these guys are in terms of share price when they get added to the platform. So, we know that many of you have got involved already. Many of you enjoying yourselves playing football index, and it's been great to hear uh, who you guys have gone for and who you are requesting to be added to the platform. We're sifting through the requests. We're putting them to football index. And they are uh, making sure that they will be adding more and more players to the platform over the coming weeks. So please do send in your requests. You can also, if this sounds interesting to you and you haven't checked it out yet, do have a look at Football Index uh, online on the app. And if you want to sign up, you can use our referral code to get a £20 bit of bonus cash. So the referral code is NTT20. When you sign up to Football Index, if you use that code, uh, you will have £20 bonus cash to play with if you deposit £20 or more to get going. At Barnsley in second, George got a big win and a very late win. It was, a, it was a tense game and you could see in the flesh that they are feeling the pressure of Sunderland's good form. But they got the win. They got the win.
1: Yeah, they weren't ugly. Um, I think their qualities and showed towards the end of the match. But that first 15, 20 minutes, I mean, they had to ride out a bit of a storm for... A, from Walsall mm. um, Warsaw scored a goal that I, I'm absolutely amazed that the foul was given um, on Ethan Pinnock who I think he was as shocked as everyone else but he, I don't think he saw any infringement he just yeah. went up for a header and got there first it was a fairly contested header it wasn't late in any way um, and a fantastic finish as well but, but, yeah. but not counting um, which is a massive shame for them uh, Warsaw just feel like a team at the moment who, who can't really b- buy any luck um, to be honest they're now in 21st position in the relegation zone unthinkable a few months ago, um, you and I predicted them to go down and a, a listener who we both know, I think, texted another friend of ours saying that that, was, that would be a prediction that we'd go down for the ages, um, mm-hmm. suggesting it was so bad and yet yeah, there they are now. So uh, <laughs> cheers for that.
0: Yeah, I, I saw this one and I thought it was, I was really interested to see the reaction of people that we follow on Twitter. A lot of the journalists uh, covering Walsall and Barnsley and a lot of Barnsley fans and a lot of Walsall fans. Um, and there was a general sense that Barnsley got away with one that they were lucky even to be level heading into injury time and therefore they snatched a win and I don't des- I don't disagree with that what I do disagree with is that you know Walsall battered Barnsley and I heard it suggested that you know it was incredibly one-sided that I watched the game and that just wasn't really how I viewed it now of course, when you when you are analysing the performances of teams, you do take their league position into account. So uh, given where the two teams were at the start of the day, given what we expected maybe of this game, uh, it's fair to say that Walsall were more impressive uh, than, than perhaps what we would have expected from Barnsley. But in terms of the actual game itself, uh, in terms of the balance of play, I didn't think it was quite as cut and dried as, as Walsall dominating. Um, they set up very well, Walsall, and they set up to counter-attack uh, with three players up front in in Gordon, uh, through the middle, Ismail and Blackett Taylor on the left, who are all mobile and pacey and skillful and direct. And apart from that, the three in midfield were basically, only one was allowed to venture forward at any given time, pretty much. So it was a defensive setup and it works to an extent. We know that Barnsley like to press very high. They commit men forward, including their fullbacks, and they often leave themselves fairly vulnerable. At the back, we spoke on the betting show about how teams that press high Tends to um, reduce the number of shots they face but give up better chances when they do and that's kind of what we saw play out also with three or four really good breaks with three or four really good openings on the counter attack aside from those counters though Barnsley did play uh, on the front foot they were I would say the team more comfortable in possession and they didn't play their best. They were snatching at passes. They were not executing in the final third. Even so, there were a number of really good blocks from also players. There were some good opportunities and openings created from Barnsley. And I think there was a, it was a bit revisionist afterwards just to say that they were dominated. They might have been lucky to be level, but all they needed was to get their head up in the final third and play one good final ball. And that's what they did eventually with, um, with Alex Mauer, and he was excellent all day. Um, I just wanted to shout out Jack Walton, the goalkeeper as well, because Adam Davis was out. Uh, he's at, with Wales at the moment, of course, and I think you know he's, a even at 26, a senior player for them, a leader and an excellent goalkeeper. I think there was probably some concern that, that Walton wasn't the replacement for him, but he made two or three fantastic saves. So um, for Walsall, it won't make them feel any better. They've played three of the top four in their last three games, and they've lost all three by one goal. So I think the feeling is that they're playing all right, they've done well against the top teams but that's not what's going to matter ultimately it's five of their next six games against teams around them now when you set up to play like that against a big team can you do that effectively against a team where the quality is level where you sort of match them that's the big question
1: Well, I think they've got to take heart out of that performance as well whether or not you agree that that they dominated against Barnsley I think what you you can't deny is at least in terms of chances created for that first 20-25 minutes you know they they did they were the better team they were the team um fashioning goal scoring opportunities and that's against a team in barnsley who you know they've obviously kept another clean sheet on saturday but um they are one of the best teams defensively in the league for all of their good attacking play it is that defensive solidity that they're they're built upon so they can take hard out of it anyway Mm. um it's probably a decent time i mean their next game is, is doncaster away doncaster um not in great form but i think as we'll speak about in a second i'm not convinced the slump is necessarily that true okay. because is, is their waveform that's really really poor and they've been unlucky enough to have a lot of away games in, in pretty close proximity um, and then after that as you say it's I mean hopefully by the time they play Oxford after that if Oxford have, have, have beaten <laughs> Wickham on the weekend then maybe that's not a six pointer as, as, as we think it is now but as mm. you say after that the games do look very winnable indeed um, and I think although the last three games have been against Barnsley, Sunderland and Portsmouth, they lost all three games by by a, a solitary goal, it's going to be difficult to put in performances where you feel like you're not getting the rub of the green. It was the same with Sunderland as well, a match that they can feel very hard done by in terms of, of, of coming away with nothing. Um, and the same can be said of the Pompey game as well. So it's now whether or not they can brush themselves off. And and I think if they put in those quality performances, then they should just about have enough to get out of it.
0: Yeah, Dobson was very impressive in midfield. Dean Keats picked up a bit of flack um, for maybe being not very good at using his substitutes. Apparently this is a bit of a thing amongst the Walsall fan base. They they were, um, from what I saw, very much in agreement that the way he set up and the game plan was, was as good as it could have been for that game and, and should have resulted in, in a point at least. But that... Even so, after 70, 75 minutes, some of those players that we mentioned earlier were really blowing, were absolutely knackered, and he, and he wasn't proactive with his changes. And of course, you know, right at the end, teams that concede late goals quite often are the teams who have, uh, who have tired a bit quicker. So something to look out for in the coming games uh, for Walsall. What about Shrewsbury and Pompey? Uh, George, it was 2-0 to Portsmouth. Um, they've got over their blip, haven't they? And, and, and they are probably the best away team in the division, I think. I mean, they just are so business-like, aren't they, away from home? I think this was a pretty good example of that.
1: Yeah, they picked up 38 points away from home this season from 20 games. That's more than anyone else in the league. And as you say, for whatever reason, I, I still maintain it was it was probably the instability that came with the new arrivals in January that, that seemed to to rock the boat a bit. But, um, but back to really good form. It's another typical Shrewsbury performance. They had chances early on and, and couldn't put them away and, and have come away empty-handed again. Um Jamal Lowe looked very, very lively indeed for, for Portsmouth, who, who seems to have regained... I think him and running Curtis were so important early on in the season. Um, and he seems to have regained that confidence, even if Curtis hasn't quite got back up to that level. Um, and interesting to see, after all the strikers brought in, Pittman and, and Hawkins playing alongside each other. Yeah. <laughs> after all that, and then they, they linked... I mean, it was a terrible mistake from the Shrewsbury keeper for, for the second goal, but they linked... Um, very nicely indeed it was a, unbelievable I mean we don't really like to talk about pre-assists but uh, the, I mean, it's such a Brett Pittman thing to do the, the, the header on the bounce into yeah. Hawkins from the mistake um, was a little bit of class um, and, uh, and and a fantastic play from Hawkins to, to spot the run and play a perfectly weighted ball across uh, as we've always said he is criminally underused for what, rightly or wrongly, um, for Brett Pittman, who was the best striker in the league last season, in my opinion, to be used as sparingly as he has been this season is a massive shame. And despite James Warren coming in, despite Omar Bogle coming in, who's done very well since he's come in, I must say, um, it was heartening to see those two linking up very well um, to, for, for that win. And they do go into the playoffs. Despite that, I mean, they'll, they'll be they'll be disappointed that it looks like the playoffs are going to be the likelihoods given the start of the season and they're you know they were top of the league not not so long ago but the fact that they've regathered after that blip and the options they now have available to them um, means that they go into the playoffs although they will go into the playoffs if it continues is is, is a huge chance of going up still
0: it'd be interesting to see how we're discussing them in three games time their next three at home to Peterborough away to Wickham and at home to Rochdale now It sounds like you're saying that it's very unlikely they'll get top two. I get that. But I think they'll be closer than they are now in in three games' time. So that could be quite an interesting end to the season. If they do head into the playoffs, well, it'll be fascinating to see who they come up against. They've lost twice to Charlton in the league this year. Um, Charlton appear to have worked them out certainly in that second fixture we saw at the Valley the other day, live on Sky. They've got the Checker Trade final coming up against Sunderland, so we'll see how those teams match up. They've they beat them at home, didn't they, in the league around Christmas time and they play each other at the Stadium of Light uh, in the second last game of the season. So Portsmouth officially over the blip, Kenny Jackett with some selection headaches of a good variety up front. Uh, and and with Ronan Curtis still to come back and hopefully, uh, you know, he can still get back to some form towards the end of the season. This is a, a team still very, very much in contention uh, to be playing championship football next season. Sunderland and Charlton didn't play this weekend. Peterborough are now in the playoff places. Um, what a season of extremes, what a season of ups and downs. And it does feel more than almost any team that they are a side in the, in the image of their owner isn't it just real ups and downs and, um, and, and currently up to an extent they're in the playoff places they're in a good position and um, they've got a new three-year contract for their beloved manager George and I know that that was something you were surprised it, well, to see
1: well it's more difficult now to, to have a pop after a resounding win at home on the, on the weekend but well a, it, a win
0: <coughs> based on Marcus Madison set pieces
1: yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, correct. And he, it, it feels a little bit like, I and mean, again, we'll talk about this later, when when Darren Way was given his long-term deal at, at Yeovil during a time of, of seemingly, at best, mediocrity. And uh, Darren Ferguson come, had been given the interim job and had had done nothing of note um, that was positive. I mean, I read some some fans suggesting that the performance levels were, were, were better Um, even if the results weren't I didn't really see much marginally I didn't see much evidence of that Mm. Um, but I mean as a I mean I know that you know the betting side of of things isn't for everyone Um, but it even if you're not someone who 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 likes to gamble themselves the odds do provide some information about probability of of, of what's going to happen for the end of the season and as you say Peterborough right now are in a playoff place Doncaster aren't but it's a Pretty suggestive that Doncaster, with their game in hand, are still one to two to finish in the top six. You can still get seven to two on posh finishing in the top six.
0: Is it unlikely that the bookies are, are being slow to react to Doncaster's Compe-
1: slide? Completely unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. Because there'd be people out there who would be um, decimating that seven to two if it was if it was that wrong. Um, the reason for it is because the performances aren't particularly good. They haven't been for a long time. I think I read that since. Um, October or November, um, most i mean Oxford are one of the teams in the bottom uh, eight or nine I mean now we're a bit higher who, who picked up more points than Peterborough um, since the first few months of the season. Um, they are not a top seven team in their in their current form um, so it 's going to be interesting to see how how Darren Ferguson gets on there It'd be a massive surprise if they 're not still in, in league one next season um, but it just if the plan was to give him the job. you'd have have assumed the plan was to give the interim job to see if he was capable of of taking the job on further. Mm. He did nothing to show that. So it it just feels odd that Darren McCantsley didn't just give him the job to start with. I thought it was
0: quite telling that he had an interview on Sky uh, before the game on Saturday on Sky Sports News, I think it was, Darren Ferguson. And uh, he was asked about, you know, what is it about you and this club, Darren? First question. And he said, well, I've got a fantastic relationship with the chairman. Mm. And you just thought, oh, wow, (laughs) the first thing you've said. uh, Interesting. Well, I think it says a lot. And uh, it'd be interesting because, of course, he has had a lot of success there in the past, Uh, whether he might prove you wrong, whether they might be able to break into the playoffs. If Marcus Madison can continue uh, his sort of one-man wrecking ball approach to that posh attack, then, um, and, and especially if... Ferguson can start getting a bit more out of uh, the likes of Tony and Tomlin and Dembele when he comes back from injury. Then, As we've said all season, they've certainly got some players that can hurt you, but they've never really felt like a team, I think, um, that that, that hurt you compared to some around them. Uh, Blackpool are in the mix as well, George. They smashed Bradford 4-1. This was Gary Boyer, the Bradford manager, playing against the squad that he built at Blackpool Uh, before leaving just at the very beginning of the season he built that squad and and that squad of players have been performing so well all season for Blackpool despite off-field distractions of course now the squad he's in charge of now Bradford uh, on paper in terms of what they've done in their careers in terms of values and no doubt wages as well uh, much better in inverted commas than Blackpool but doing the complete opposite have had one of the worst seasons they could possibly have had um, with a bit of off-field distractions. But more and more, the more they collapse, you start to wonder whether that was a bit of a a bit of a convenient excuse for a group of players that haven't reacted to three or four different managers and just can't build on, on any sort of win, any sort of form at all.
1: Yeah, it seems impossible to stick up for them. Um, the one thing uh, I can say about this was that... Um, they won the xg battle if that's if that's anything i mean they, they they missed the penalty which was which was at a pretty crucial time um but on the balance of play i think it was kind of 2.5 1.5 which which suggests that, that they were unlucky to to be absolutely thrashed but i mean that is just a, a drop in the ocean really because they've been poor for a long time now and there's a reason why they are you know the, the first team of this ridiculous relegation battle the first team who i think we can we can probably relegate um I was very surprised to read um, what Gary Boyer said about Armand Nondouillet. Yeah. Which so... seems very out of character for, for former Blackpool boss Gary Boyer, who had a fantastic time. At Blackpool. Well, in, I'm not and sure he had a
0: fantastic relationship with Big Armand, well, though, but then he, who's been banging them in under Terry yeah, McPhillips. Yeah,
1: but he was still, you know, Norm Duier was still there, you know, he, was there, he brought him to the club and he was a striker there. Anyway, you I mean, I'll let you...
0: I yeah, mean, just, just for context, our great friends at Foxpunter, uh, who do the Lord's work, scouring all the manager interviews, basically, um, for nuggets of, of goodness. And uh, Mike shared this. Terry McPhillips, after the game, mentioning that some players signed by Gary were extra motivated today. And you wonder who that could be. And then you see Gary Bowyer saying, we've worked all week on stopping crosses. Six foot four striker Nondouye with some silly blonde dye in his hair goes unchallenged twice. And even in that quote, I can see the sort of relationship that they probably had when Bowyer was Blackpool manager. And for whatever reason, Nondouye thriving under McPhillips um, and, and doing the damage against him. And
1: McPhillips has now said that he's, uh, he's a Premier League striker. Um, Having seen Armand Nanduier play for Oxford, um, if he is a Premier League striker, then I think um, McPhillips is probably a Premier League manager.
0: I think in the same way that Doncaster are the best team in League One, uh, uh, Nanduier is probably a Premier League striker. If you were to select, if you were to make like a sixty-second compilation of his season, you could probably fill it with, with about five (laughs) Premier League quality things. Um. And
1: in the same way that Martin O'Neill said that Ashley Young was on a level playing field with Leo Messi mm. when he was Aston Villa manager great player great really player, good Ashley Young. Nice. Um, yeah.
0: Yellows Oxford we're going to talk about some of the big winners in the, in the bottom part of the table now and Oxford certainly in there how much relief George going to the Rico and winning against Coventry massive
1: and I'm taking all credit ever since I slagged <laughs> off Curtis Nelson on the podcast. We barely conceded the goal. He's scoring winners. Uh yeah, huge, huge result. And since you know, we've only conceded two goals since the Accrington Shambles. Um, this is for all of, of, of the manager's talk about um, you know, playing decent football and and the attacking players that we've got like Marcus Brown, like like um Gavin White who was injured, like Jordan Graham, this uh, mission to stay up is, which is looking like it might be successful, is built upon a, a solid defence. When I mean, you've got basically two centimeter fielders playing as your fullbacks, that's that's a pretty good effort. Mm. Uh, and Sam Long playing right back at the moment, who's not got very many professional appearances to his name over the last kind of six years. Um, so it's huge. And, and I'd say a, a key thing here is you know Simon Eastwood, who made his um, 150th uh, uh, appearance for the club. Um, he I think uh, probably no fault of his own maybe just setting high standards he hasn't been quite as crucial for Oxford this season um, there haven't been as many games we've left thinking like what the hell would we do without him I mean this was this one of them. was one of them <laughs> um, and that you know makes a massive impact where he was he was so good and he kept us in the game at 0-0 um, and then he kept our lead at 1-0 as well um, Ian Dowie on, um, on on Soccer Saturday was talking throughout the second half about how Oxford um, were fairly comfortable in the second half I, I'm not really sure that's completely true because Eastwood was so crucial to the win um, it's now a really interesting time for the club because touchwood I mean it changes so quickly but you think we're now in a position where it's unlikely we're going to go down mm. um, I think Ben Mayhew's graphic gives us under 10% chance of relegation now yeah um, so it's been a shocking season. Um, Carl Robinson told us, given 12 months, to build a squad. The squad is not good. The recruitment has been shambolic from start to finish. There's very little chance that the car's going to be going anywhere, and I think that's probably fair enough-ish. <laughs> um, but it's just a case now of, of off-field troubles I mean, a lot of Oxford's fans seem to think that the off-field troubles have made a big impact on the pitch. I don't buy it at all. This is an uh, expensively assembled squad. And because it looks like our defence is going to pick up the points needed to, to stay up, um, there have to be uh, an inquest into how uh, the team and the squad has been so chronically mismanaged.
0: Yeah, and there's going to be a big job on, on someone's hands over the summer to sure build it'll another it'll squad. Be because Robinson's,
1: He's just got to learn from the mistakes. That's it. Is Jordan Graham going to be there next season? I hope so um, if he
0: isn't then current low knees, Brown Graham Garbutt Sinclair Curtis yeah. Nelson out of contract
1: I mean only of those guys you've said the only I mean Brown was never going to stay but, but I mean Graham is the only one Garbutt can leave it everyone's blessing, Jerome Sinclair. We won't lose any sleep over. Um, right,
0: but you you are still going to need actual footballers S- S- to Rath- be Rath- playing. Yeah,
1: well, it, it, it needs a huge rebuilding mission. Don't yeah. don't spend you know your highest wages on, on loan players who who aren't fit. I mean that's an obvious one. If you're looking at the players that that, that Karl's brought in, um, Ricky Holmes, Sammy Carruthers Ahmed Kaji Karth- these are all players that have played for him in the past, um, who came with very little um, match fitness, and that's completely shown all season. I mean, what chunk of the budget has been taken up by those three? I dread to think. Mm. Um, and it's just understanding that there are other ways of doing things. That's it.
0: Right. Well, it's not all over for Coventry. I think you can be under, understanding of a negative reaction to this one. I think from the, the, the good Cov fans that we follow on Twitter, it seemed like they're basically saying, unlucky not to have been ahead in the first half. In terms of performances, probably not that different to when we beat Fleetwood the other day, when we beat Peterborough the other day. Uh, we've just come the other side of it this time round. So, you know, there's now four teams, uh, Peterborough, Doncaster, Blackpool and Coventry all within two points of each other gunning for that last playoff spot. So certainly all to play for. Other big winners, George, were Rochdale. Big win for them against Scunthorpe. And it was Aaron Wilbraham at the double, the oldest player to score a brace in League One at 39 and a half since uh, Steve Claridge uh, in 2005. That was a stat that I enjoyed from Opta. Uh, Daly Dale said we absolutely dominated them, played some magnificent stuff. Um, Kugosi and Clay has been unreal since Keith Hill's departure two goals from Aaron Wilbraham, and one for you George also since Hill's departure we're unbeaten in three winning two of them I'd like to hear what George thinks of that now I think this is shots fired because you said it was stupid to sack Keith Hill or words to that effect or probably something along the lines of there's no such thing as a new manager bounce and therefore they can't expect things to magically turn around well Brian Barry Murphy the caretaker he's bouncing
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, f- fine. Um, the, the you know the performances have been very good. Um, had some nice fixtures, haven't they? Yeah, they have had nice fixtures, but you can't. I still think long term, um, it's it's not the uh, it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. Um, there's nothing to suggest mm. that these results wouldn't necessarily have happened had they not made the decision. It's probably unlikely, but we don't know that for sure. And um, and I would just urge a bit of caution in blowing this trumpet now, given the precarious position that the football clubs in. Um, we also had Scunthorpe fans a few weeks ago telling us that you know Stuart McCall was, was the man to turn them around and they were out of the relegation zone. Today he's been sacked. We've had Bradford fans um, saying the same thing as well. So about David Hopkin, when it looked like they were going to get out of it, they're, they're now all but down. Three games is, is a very, very small sample size. All three games were at home. All three games were against teams that they're battling relegation. Um, next up you've got a much tougher, tougher run of games where you're going away to Gillingham who are the in team of this bottom half mm-hmm. um, you're going you've got to host Sunderland then you're going to Accrington you're going to Pompey so if at the end of that run um, this form continues then come at me because at the moment it's, um, it's still pretty precarious and I wouldn't be too cocky about the run of form
0: <laughs> well on that note were you surprised that Scunthorpe sacked Stuart McCall on Sunday
1: not necessarily. Um, we've, we've said that their attacking output have been very, very fairly poor for a long time, um, not having very many shots, which is, which is not a good thing for a not football ideal. team. Not, not ideal, no. Um, I, I actually backed Rochdale to win on, on the weekend because you could see that the, the numbers they post against Oxford and against Shrewsbury were fairly decent, whereas, whereas as I mentioned, Scunthorpe was pretty poor. Um, I'm, whilst I'm not surprised to see them sat McCall, I think it's a mistake, um, I mean, the biggest mistake, quite obviously, was was getting rid of the manager a year or so ago when they were in the... Graham Alexander. Positions. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, getting rid of an experienced guy who had them playing good football for two or so years and replacing him with a caretaker manager because of a, a brief run of... I mean, this is... Going back to the Rochdale thing, I mean, it's a, it's a similar scenario here. Because... It doesn't just,
0: reflect well on those running the club. No,
1: no, of course not. And then, as I said, it baffled me um, kind of before the turn of the year when there was still talk around uh, at Scunthorpe um, about, about reaching the playoffs. And it was just a lack of understanding about what position the football team were in. I mean, you, you see with these clubs, happen with Oxford this season, when the expectations pre-season are much higher than relegation, there's normally like a, a day or, or a game where the club says like, right, we are in a relegation battle, let's not ignore that. And that just never really seemed to happen at Scunthorpe. There was always this, this arrogance or this, this assumption that, that it was going to turn around. So I, I think that Stuart McCall is a very good manager I think that if they'd kept hold of him they, they may have gone down they may not have done I don't think they've necessarily in- increased their chance of staying up by ridding by, by you know ridding themselves of him so um, I'm not surprised but I, I don't think it's the right decision
0: caretaker Andy Dawson in charge until the end of the season they have as you mentioned been a bit of a sacking club in recent years and that it,
1: about them and caretakers called Dawes yeah
0: well exactly D- the other guy Nick Dawes is now head of recruitment at AFC Wimbledon as of a few weeks ago which is interesting they Wage bill, and I I can't speak for this season because those accounts obviously haven't been released yet, but if you look at League One financial data over the last few years, and I wouldn't have a go at you if you don't spend a lot of time (laughs) looking at League One financial data, but Scunthorpe's um, wage bill compared to their turnover has been alarmingly high in recent years and a little bit, I would suggest, like well, one small parallel to West Brom's sacking of Darren Moore I think there's a bit of panicking here. Well, I think there's a lot of panicking here because if you are not a team that turns over a lot of money and not a team with a huge fan base that doesn't bring in a lot of income and, you're a, and you are overspend on wages in order to try and, uh, and and punch above your weight, if you then don't do that, and especially if you get relegated, that can be incredibly dangerous. That can be... Um, that, that can be really worrying for a club and, and its short-term future. So, Scunthorpe rolling the dice again, sacking Stuart McCall, Andy Dawson in charge for the last seven games to try and keep them up. Huge win for Gillingham at Wimbledon. This was a big game. We previewed it in the match in focus on the betting show and neither of us predicted a Gillingham win. Uh, maybe we should have known better because in games against teams around them since January, this is what they've been doing. They've been winning tight games and this was maybe even more impressive to have come from behind uh, and Wimbledon looked so comfortable after 15 minutes Um, but Gillingham turning things around wrestling back momentum of course there was a big uh, goalkeeping error from Ramsdale who's been so impressive on loan from Bournemouth with Wimbledon but young goalkeepers do make mistakes and that really cost Wimbledon they they couldn't drag it back after that so congrats to Gillingham Um, they are now in the top half (laughs) in 12 and they feel maybe if you're saying Oxford almost certainly safe Gillingham probably safe as well now um, from a Wimbledon point of view just something to to look at nine years podcast Wimbledon pod says that was the fifth occasion they've gone 1-0 up at home this season and they've lost four out of five now that is exceptionally bad and that is something that really reflects why they are still so much in trouble Wimbledon they need to turn that around Uh, a great performance from Burton 2-0 down against Accrington came back to win 5-2 now This is going to smack of a classic overreacting to a good performance. But they're finishing the season strong at this stage. They're only five points off the playoffs at the moment. Um, And Gab Sutton was at that one, very impressed with the midfield. Said they played with real energy. Uh, And Cy Watts said, don't forget that at the turn of the year, they're only a few points above the bottom four, now five points off the top six. I'm going to say, George, that this could be a team to watch over the summer, I'd say they dealt with relegation about as well as could be expected. They weren't never going to throw money at it. They can't throw money at it. But some of the players they recruited, like Fraser and, and um, Templeton, if they can have another good window in the summer, it could be an interesting team next season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know you're um, not a massive fan of Nigel. I'm not a massive fan of his, but but you also have to respect what he's done. And I think the performances over the last three or four months have been one of a top seven, top eight team. Um, and, and, you know, the... I guess, the bottle to come back from, from 2-0 down at home and, and, and put Accrington to the sword as they have. I mean, there haven't been many games under John Colburn where Accrington have been torn apart um, as they were here. Um, it was abject in the second half. Um, also, for Accrington, this is a, a massive, massive blow. At 2-0 up, on the back of that 3-1 win against against Wickham, you're, you're basically home and hosed. Mm. Um, you know, An interesting, I was talking to a couple of guys on Twitter about who we thought were, were valued to go down and... and I be saying Accrington to, to to their disagreement, but I was looking through it and they've only won. I mean, if you look at their fixtures, they've got the games in hand. Yeah, and they and of their of their remaining games, only three of them are away from home, which you think is a big plus. But they've only won two of the last ten games at home, a, a team who we always think are, are so um, basically so good with their mm. home comforts as well. So. And and mentally to come back from it's going to be difficult. So yeah, I'm concerned for Accrington uh, at the moment, still to play Sunderland, still to play Luton, still to play Doncaster, still to play Pompey as well. Um, Tough run. And as you say, I I think for Burton, even though every team is doing their doing their best to to not get that last playoff spot, um, it feels like all the teams who who get within touching distance um, are are flailing a little bit. I still think they're probably just a little bit too far behind Mm. to, to to muscle their way in.
0: Plymouth and Bristol Rovers played out the only draw in League One. It really was a great weekend uh, uh, for League One. Storylines, um, only one thing to say here, and I just love our followers on Twitter because uh, at 11.40pm on Saturday night, I'd got home from working on the Highlights show. I had a, a bottle of Peroni watching, uh, watching some... 18 over, I hope. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah, listening. yeah exactly. And it's I was um... gambling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I tweeted the words, Johnson Clark Harris... And we got 28, 28 likes on it. People really moved for that one, and that's because he scored another absolute screamer. He is Bristol Rovers' top goalscorer this I season. I reckon
1: people just thought that you were searching for it.
0: Wow! If they think that I would make a mistake like that after ten years on Twitter, then they've got another thing coming. Ed
1: bull has been on Twitter for ages.
0: Mm. Well, he's not as good at it as me. Um, it was <laughs> a sad. It, it was a sad day this week when. Uh, the Not The Top 20 account overtook my own Twitter account. Great day. Uh, it was a sad day. But no man is bigger than the pod, as I said. Um, yes, Clark Harris, already Bristol Rovers' top league goal scorer this season, having joined uh, right at the end of January, seven goals in nine starts. Uh, we love League One. We've been talking about League One for a while. We're going to talk about League Two next. Quest also love League One and League Two. They have shown a commitment to showing more of it on the Saturday Night's Highlights programme. I spoke to Colin Murray the other day about exactly why they have done that. And this is what he had to say. Colin Murray on the Not The Top 20 podcast. Very exciting. Thanks for coming on, Colin. Well, you've never asked me. <laughs>
2: um, and I've worked with you for two years. <laughs> Just going to point that out. I've never been asked.
0: It's not necessarily a podcast secret that I've worked on the highlight show, but it's not, you know, I like to keep my. You don't like to cross the streams? <laughs> no, I try you not know. to. I'm a proud man,
2: I'm not going to beg.
0: <laughs> no, you're you right.
2: You know? Um, I've hosted shows like EastEnders Revealed <laughs> and Rise. People like me don't ask to be on your podcast, no, quite you know, right. With that type of CV. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Well, thanks for joining. The reason why we're sitting down to talk today uh, is that I am going to mix streams just for a bit. Yeah. Big news in the Quest EFL highlights sphere, and you're going to reveal to the listeners who haven't seen it already what the big news is. Yeah, we finally
2: managed to persuade people in suits with better cars and better paid jobs to uh, extend the show by half an hour. You, you need you need an hour for the championship minimum, mm. and. The, the, the honest truth of the matter is the ratings are much higher for the championship than they are for League 2. Yeah. You sell adverts based on it and that pays for the show and that it's a circle. So there's certainly no way you could ever do half an hour championship, half an hour League 1, half an hour League 2. So we were always short of time for League 1, League 2 <laughs> um, and they've agreed to put an extra half an hour in until the end of the season.
0: And that's big, isn't it? Because you've been hosting this equivalent show last year on Channel 5 and that was never the case there this yeah. is a, a big a big thing I guess for those people in suits to agree to
2: yeah it is because the the whole thought process is that if you are on air with any other football when the match of the day is on that everyone will go and watch that Yeah. my argument's always been no if you're a League 1 and League 2 fan you need a little bit more than what we're giving them to justify staying to watch it my argument's always been I think there's a lot of League One and two, uh, League One and League Two fans who aren't watching the half hour before match of the day because they're like, "Well, I get 20 seconds and you don't really have time to talk about us." Yeah. So, I, it's a big experiment, and we've only got to the end of the season. So, if people don't watch the extra half hour, I can't in the summer say, "Well, you've got to keep it like that next season." Mm. I will literally have to go. It was there for three months, two months, and we fell off the cliff or it was there for three months and we increased across all of the League 1, yeah, League yeah. 2 which I think now will probably be about 50 to 55 minutes with our breaks in there obviously like there always yeah, is yeah. rather than
0: 27 minutes so it's, it is a big jump longer yeah. match edits and longer discussions yeah. or more discussions that we don't know yet exactly what it's going to look like I'll
2: definitely push for more action yeah. I always push for more action than me and Ian Holloway talking absolute shite <laughs> uh, but like say say you take a, a particular run in order the weird thing is as you know because you work very uh, much at, this, at the very front of the League 1 League 2 analysis that we do it's much more difficult to get it into 50 seconds or a minute than it is into 2 so what happens a lot of time is I'll have to start the chats by going say you look at today I'll, I'll just pick anyone out we'll have a chat and you'll say right you're going to have to pay off Argyle you're going to have to mention Scunthorpe but we've only got a minute and you have to talk about Bradford Blackpool yeah. now those games haven't happened yet so I don't know the results but you'd find yourself just saying, that was a big win, that was, a, that was controversial, but this is what we're going to look at. And we try and spread it around the teams. Mm. But of course, people don't watch every week so sometimes they think we ignore their team. So now it'll be easier. Having two minutes is much better. To come off the back of, you know, Colchester United, Tranmere Rovers, and have two minutes is yeah. better than having a minute. Trust me, it's easier. Um, and the Pundit gets it. You get a chance more sometimes just to
0: look at moments in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, excited about it. As the face of the show, you attract the majority, I would say, of the feedback. I think that's fair to say, from, yeah. uh, especially online, on Twitter. Mm. And you, I would say, engage with it uh, especially yeah. negative stuff, and you try and explain things uh, uh, yeah. pretty well. Is this has this been a big thing that you've seen week in week out about people saying you're not respecting League One, and League Two? Yeah, but it's it, hard to explain it in a tweet, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, there's nowhere else free to air that no no one was go, is going to go out and all of a sudden spend millions of pounds in the highlights for League One and League Two and then smash them on uh, a channel for two hours. But the um, Quest, I think, have been really good because. Uh, and this is not disparaging towards Channel 5 or anything before that, but to my best of my knowledge in my experience of working outside of Quest on EFL and just as a viewer, when there's only League One and League Two, everyone's Scarpers, everyone's in Tenerife. We don't do that. We're here today. We're doing an hour for League One and League Two, and we've done that consistently all season. We've missed very few. We've done midweek shows. So Quest are completely committed to it because for them, it's a big deal to have football highlights. It can sometimes get lost, I think, in a, on a "quote unquote" bigger channel. Well, oh, so I used to think. I think that's the so I will defend it, but I also get it, we get it wrong at times. Mm-hmm. I also what I try and explain to people is right. The budget's low, like it really is. It's not there's not 18 people putting this together. So when we do League One, League Two, sometimes we will talk about where the club are rather than a specific moment in that game. So when someone says to me, "I can't believe you didn't put," A foul throw into the highlights that led to a goal for Burton Albion. I'm like, see, I didn't see it. That's why, mm-hmm. right? Because you, we don't, it's impossible. Think about it, you know, 72 teams. On, and we do get some weeks we got all 72 teams But we never really have less Doing 66 So You know It's it's one of those things It all does come from Really caring about it So yeah. Pushing to get an extra half hour Is genuinely the team Just wanting to do a better job Of League One League Two To have more time yeah. We're not getting paid It's not We don't get paid a third more I want to make that clear <laughs> There's no There's no increase in that yeah. We haven't told the pundits yet I think <laughs> Ian Holloway Thinks he's getting Um a third more yeah. but I'm, I'm guessing he's not that good at maths <laughs> so we'll probably be able to get that one by um,
0: also the other thing I wanted to ask yeah. was you clearly have a real appetite for being the presenter of the EFA Highlights mm-hmm. show that's been very clear to everyone who watches the show uh, over the last 18 months previously on Channel 5 now on Quest it strikes me maybe that that it's not just about work and money for you yeah. it's like why do you like doing the EFL let's say more than honestly to day too which you used to do
2: because it was boring so radio's a bit of a challenge uh, not as much as some of the radio we do now but like say putting together Blood in the Tracks for, for the BBC that's a real challenge because that's, that's a project of mine It I co producer I put it together from scratch, and I love that. That's like really challenged to make a new format work. But if, if I'm going in to do three hours of radio anywhere, really, and getting in in the morning, that's a challenge. That's creative, and your brain's full of stuff. Mm. TV isn't. TV is often dull. If you're if you're watching football highlights and the presenter, I'm not even criticising this. I'm just saying the presenter says to the pundit, "Well, you've just watched ninety minutes of football disaster, wasn't it? At the back for Chelsea." And he goes, yeah, it was a disaster at the back for Chelsea. And and all of a sudden, you're seeing clips of why it was. A, they didn't make that after the presenter asked the question. Mm. It was made two hours before. Mm. The job of the presenter is literally just to facilitate the pundit to get into what he wants to talk about. And in some cases, you have no say on it whatsoever. That's why the shoe never really fitted. This is different. So if we're in a meeting at 6 o'clock and the pundit says... I think this you or I have no problems with turning around and going we think the opposite and we'll bring that on air so that's what I like about it mm. it's also it is a challenge every week I do spend so much time in forums because yeah. I haven't seen the game yeah. so I'm like get into the forums see what they're saying don't say something on air like they were terrible today if you don't know mm. and also like, don't say that team haven't scored in seven games go and find out why
0: mm. so that happens a lot in our meetings Um, I always have images of you like using a login that's like sort of Belfast Pilgrim or Green and White Army. No, I never
2: post. (laughs) I never post. I was tempted to post on Hull City this year yeah. because I took a bit of stick for it to start the season saying they would have a good season mm. I said if you want to pick a dark horse in the championship you've got to come outside of 12 teams because there's 12 to 14 teams that probably think they've a good chance of going up this year they're very open that's proven to be the case we get three teams battling at the top we got a host of teams battling to get into the playoffs mm. you're probably only looking at what one team at the moment maybe you maybe put West Brom on that and say they're, they're in the playoffs too but you knew it was going to so I said look if you want a dark horse you got to go to a team that nobody's talking about being in and that's Hull City for me right manager some young players coming through mm-hmm. and I took a bit of stick for that uh, in one particular form and it, I did I was so hovering over I was going to type <laughs> what do you think now bitches
0: Belfast but tie it wasn't, Yeah, exactly. yeah
2: exactly <laughs> I thought I'd barely leave that alone um, but yeah so so the answer to the question is it's a challenge yeah. it's a challenge every week and it's a Certainly buzz is. at the end
0: right? but it's fun isn't it yeah, it's I a mean... buzz
2: when you go home and you go we got that right yeah. and then you get it wrong it sticks with you and that's kind of what I've always wanted to do um, I couldn't really sit and just do a plug in we, we always say there's two different types of presenter we call them a plug in presenter and that's not a uh, criticism but they can turn up read an auto cue mm. go home very generic that's yeah. the way it is and there's places for that quiz shows all that stuff others where you kind of are part of the production so that's why I enjoy it much more yeah. and to be honest as a Liverpool fan I'm exasperated with hearing the problems of Liverpool fans yeah. it's like you really don't have any problems yeah. Yeah. and as football's changed a lot more I've, I'm no less a Liverpool fan but I'm certainly more a Northern Ireland fan than i ever been yeah. I find real singing whether we win or lose I find the trips more enjoyable because mm. I see the same people every week and there's a parallel between that and I think quote unquote a local club yeah. you know I enjoy the interaction with Plymouth Argyle fans and Burley fans at the end of last season and yeah. I, I kind of uh, yeah people have to get used to this with me I'm positive if your team have a problem on the pitch I'm likely to concentrate on the team to beat you Yeah. in the small amount of time I have on air I don't want to come on and go to the pundit look how bad they are I want to go look how good the other team are yeah, yeah. and that's why I always get loads of tweets going you're a blade aren't you and I'm like no you're definitely a as a Preston North End fan I'm like no yeah, you're a Trammere
0: Rovers fan no you've definitely been biased towards Leeds and against Leeds a hundred times yeah. season.
2: I love Leeds fans they're the worst though at the moment yeah. on Twitter for apparently I want them to win every game and apparently I want them to lose every game it's just I want to see Leeds United or Sheffield United go up I think it'll be good for the Premier League have that big powerhouse Northern side in mm. Yorkshire side and doesn't matter to me which one yeah. but it's hard not to migrate slightly towards the underdog stories mm. which is how Sheffield United are even in the race this year is unbelievable it's, thanks and to Wild really Wilde
0: yeah we've enjoyed all the, all the different parts of Norwich's season as well yeah. right? and seeing yeah. them develop into yeah. this into this title contender yeah. as well
2: and the power that comes with that team because of this you see family club is seen sometimes as a negative thing to say it's not This is like thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of season tickets a familiarity with this is what we are Mm. this is what we do such a strong team that when they get I I don't think there's the peril at, at Cairo Road if the wheels came off now the same season tickets are sold next year and that's what's brilliant about it that's what's brilliant about Norwich and I love that the strength that comes from that there's definitely more peril when it comes to Leeds United yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah. and rightfully so the fans have been shot on so many times mm. so many times that I go back you're too young love saying that on podcasts <laughs> but I go back to the battles of Britain Yeah. you know the Mark Hately goal for Rangers against them I go back to when Leeds were massive and my father bad example my stepfather he goes back <laughs> To when they were they were they were they properly ruled under yeah. Don Revy So yeah, yeah. Um, to me, it's all in your age. But I look at the league and just see Leeds as a massive club mm. where the fans have had the wrong end of the stick for so long. That's why I want to see them do well. But I'm telling you now, if there were three other th- teams at the top. I'd find a reason to love them I'd find a reason to be happy for them yeah we it's enjoy enough. the stories yeah. and, and that's the beauty of it they're different stories every season I like to ignore the negativity I don't yeah. want to be on air it's so easy to snarl and be negative and point out someone's mistake one of my biggest problems with punditry is A when it's generic and I learned that the hard way actually when I started doing Channel 5 I used the phrase teams like on the first show and it really turned the light on me I was like yeah you can't do that yeah. you do the bloody work um, the other thing I can't stand is so that that's something that annoys my kind of generic. But the, the other thing I can't stand is when somebody points out that say a defender hasn't been quick enough getting back, mm. he's he's out of his position and you're back you're like yeah but he's out of position That guy that costs 40 million pound more than him mm. and the reason why he's out of position is someone had to go up for the corner yeah. and he's the best defender to go up for a corner so I always find that like once they cross the white line we forget about how much money the equal money of football mm. so um, that's just a random rant
0: before you ask last nice lastly we've got to get back 10 minutes to a kick off uh, another little peek behind the curtain is that yeah. we the, the, the most the fun the most fun bit really isn't it the bit where it really doesn't feel like work is between three and five when we're watching yeah. the games we watch all the championship games as the sort of live stream yeah but it's just the one camera and we don't get replays on the no. majority of them Nightmare. so my question to you is what percentage of goals do you think you actually see live because it's a big thing isn't it someone um, will shout i don't go and you'll
2: you'll uh, have missed it so we generally are quite good if we've got 12 games in front of us you and i would probably see live i'm going to give us a good 40 percent Oh, I think more <laughs> More You do get a feel for it Don't yeah, you You get a, a scale. feel to go I must dis- I must disagree The best bit is 10 minutes before Where we have a game Which is Everybody picks the game That they think the goal Is least likely To be scored in first And whoever loses Wherever the first goal goes in If you pick that game You have to buy coffees For everyone But the best <laughs> thing was When we started this game Five of the first six weeks, the loser was the least paid person in the team. <laughs> like literally, couldn't pay his rent. And but there was the principle: was you have to buy it. Yeah. And then we found out Ian Holloway in the two weeks he was in was slipping him money to buy it. Why, really? The, well, the kid's I miss not. That. The kid's not going to learn. Yeah. He's not going to learn the hard way. Well, he doesn't work here anymore, right? does he? And no, he don't work. <laughs> well, he can't work
0: here anymore because he got bankrupt <laughs> by buying coffees. To recap. Quest is going to two hours. Yeah. You've been campaigning for it. Yeah. You've now got to stay later on a Saturday night, but generally you're a happy man. We're
2: not getting any more money. We're not going to turn overnight into match of the day production, but Quest prove yet again they are serious about doing it well, right? Forget it doesn't matter what button you click to watch it. You come in, it's in HD. We're at every game. I know next season there's plans, hopefully. (laughs) to change again where we're going to get more cameras at games nice. but that's TBC Yeah. so obviously you got to look at the budget with that but yet again like when they stay on for League 1 League 2 this week they're yet again committing I think that's what it's needed for a long time yeah. so you got to watch you got to tell people you got to watch that extra half hour it won't be here next season and I can't argue for it Mm. So that's the, that's the key to it. So yeah, it makes our life easier. Hopefully the majority of that time will be for football,
0: but a little bit more for chat as well.
2: Nice. Happy days. Thanks Kyle. Thanks for finally inviting me on. <laughs> finally.
0: <laughs> We've got to start our League Two section, talking about Tranmere Rovers, the Super White Army. They beat Colchester 2-0 on the weekend. Now, six wins in a row for Tranmere represents a quite sensational run of form at A crucial time in the season they're five points off the automatic promotion spots now with a game in hand they've sorted out their away form which was holding them back in the first half of the season and chris hall tweeted us earlier to say uh heard you on thursday saying the league two automatic promotion race is a four horse race would you now consider Tranmere to have crashed
1: that party they're the fourth horse Ooh. Oh, no. I mean, we can't, <laughs> Who's the horse that's bolting? We, we can't claim uh, that, no, no, I was going to say Mansfield after their, their poor run. But um, no, no, I think that's, that's totally fair enough. And you now, I mean, five points is a lot to make up on this MK Don's team, I would say. Um, even with a game in hand, we cannot assume that game in hand is three points despite uh, the good form um, but if you had to pick a team at the moment, who will be there to pick up the pieces? I mean, that Mansfield L column being seven has come out of nowhere. Mm. Um, you know, we were talking. It feels like just the other day we were talking about it being two. Um, and yeah, as a, I personally would probably in a match bet now have have over, over over Mansfield.
0: Really, you're yeah. not just overreacting. <laughs> I think you're underreacting. Okay, well maybe that's true. Tom Cavilla or Cavilla, uh, who who reports on the club, said that truly were 8 points adrift of the playoff places after losing 2-1 to Northampton on February the 5th that is just 1 month and 3 weeks ago they're now 5 points off the automatic places with a game in hand as mentioned now that is an unbelievable turnaround isn't it and we talk about James Norwood a lot we know that that's going to be one of the most interesting transfer sagas of the summer but Mickey Mellon Mickey Mellon I think we don't talk about Mickey Mellon enough let's
1: Mitchie Mellon. <laughs> let's Mitched.
0: Re- let's rewind. At Mickey Cantaloupe, as they call him in America. Lovely. Um, uh, let's rewind. Mickey Mellon left Shrewsbury in League One to join Tranmere in the, in the conference in the National I was League.
1: That's about to make such a bad joke. Yeah, yeah.
0: He dropped two divisions to take over, which at the time felt <laughs> surprising. And the turnaround is stunning, isn't it? It and, is. And he... I think that first season, they didn't go up, did they? The second season, they won the playoffs. I mean, so much can turn on a playoff victory, can't it? Because it's, it's such a double-edged sword. But here we are looking at him definitely heading into another playoff campaign and, and possibly looking at a double promotion.
1: Yeah, um, you have to give him huge credit for it. Tramira, a club who definitely have the infrastructure and, and you know the fan base to, to be successful at a high level than League Two. Um, it, it needed a manager to get the most out of the club and, and melon someone who's done that. I mean, eyebrows are raised. I'm sure we'll be sitting here in two years talking about how when John Sheridan moved down to to to, um, to conference club, uh, National League Club Chesterfield. Chesterfield. And, uh, you know, these are big clubs who they're attractive jobs because if you can, the expectations are high, but you can't really get much lower. So you're taking on, a, you know, a... Uh, a bit of a sleeping giant at the FL level, I guess, or, or at league two level at least. Um, but he does deserve massive credit and another one where, you know, probably facing up to a bit of criticism a few months ago. Mm. Um, but the run of form since and keeping hold of Norwood in January, so important. Um, and the run of form since has been so, so impressive that, uh, you, you wouldn't begrudge them going into the playoffs if they don't make it into top three I think going into the playoffs you'd have to have them as, as, as the more likely at the moment
0: quite impressive as well when we, we often talk about how it's worth following managers rather than teams because mm. managers uh, have you know it's up to them really how a team plays and and, and how they develop and generally I would say at the lower levels Managers are fairly wedded to one system and have a, 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 even at the top level, to be quite honest with you, have an idea of, of how they want to play, have a, uh, perhaps a shape that they think is, is, is optimal for that. Um, and, uh, and in terms of profiles of personnel within that, the same sort of thing. They have a, a, a way they think works. I always think about Paul Cook and 4231, which is basically hasn't done anything else um, for a whole career. But let's not forget that. Cook was their top scorer last season. Cook now of Walsall, big target man type striker. He was the big man in, in the National League. And Norwood was his sort of foil. He was, he was considered, uh, I don't even think he was considered an exceptional National League player. Now, to have made the leap he has this season to become the goal scorer he's become has definitely caught people by surprise. People who have seen him for the last five years scoring goals in the National League, but not to this extent are surprised at the finisher he's become, but also credit to Mickey Mellon for being able to to change up and find a system that gets the most out of Norwood without having to pair him with a big man to to hold up the ball to play him in, but actually has the focal point in a 4-2-3-1. So I I think that was worth noting. Colchester, who they beat, they're unhappy at the moment. Um, I was quite surprised to see the negativity towards manager John McGreal on the Colchester hashtag on Saturday. I asked Liam, who's a Colchester fan, whose opinion we respect, Uh, I said, is this just a bit of an overreaction? He said, no, not really. He said, the decline in form since Christmas is stunning and a very similar situation to last year. If we fail to finish in the playoffs, which seems likely, I think he should go because it would be a failure of a season. He doesn't have the skills to make game-changing calls. Our last 10 wins have been to nil, but if we concede, we can't respond. So Colchester are in a a tough spot at the moment. They're four points now below Exeter and they've played a game more. So really disappointing few weeks. They've dropped out of contention. Back towards the top, George uh, Lincoln binned off Crawley 3-0. They've gone top of the league. Them being vulnerable league leaders, that didn't really play out, did it, mate?
1: Still, uh, still, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too uh, blowing your own trumpet. Now, eight points I'm clear I'm not blowing my top.
0: trumpet. You said. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I'm saying they haven't won the league yet, no, is well. my point. Mm. I mean, I as, as anyone who listens to the betting show will know, did we talk about it? We didn't even talk about it. That's a shame because I, yeah, delete that part. <laughs> I was going to. Yeah, they haven't won the league yet. (laughs) Uh, It was a a very dominant performance over a a poor Crawley team, Um, it must be said. But it doesn't look, there's no sign of it slowing down. Um, It was a big point they got away at Mansfield and the fixtures from here on in. I mean, they've still got to play. They've got to go to MK Dons um, after. You you assume they'll see off Macclesfield in, in the next game at home. Um, that trip to MK Dons could be the fly in the ointment if they get beat there and, and, and the guys behind them pick up some points. But realistically, Lincoln are going to be a League One team next season, um, whether they win the title or not. And I think that Danny Cowley probably at the moment doesn't really care if they win the title or not. Um, and they'll be a force to reckon with next year.
0: Correct answer. Tom Farmery, journalist, was at this one, tweeted, didn't really get picked up this, but we picked it up because we don't miss much. Uh, Felipe Moraes uh, Crawley senior player, really, in that dressing room and actually was part of the caretaker team uh, in between management, uh, in between Kewl and Cioffi. Well, Tom reported on Saturday that uh, as Gabriele Cioffi was doing his post-match press, uh, Felipe Moraes walked down the tunnel past him uh, and said, it's not going to effing change, is it? And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, A, that... It just seems quite blatant in front of reporters to be to be talking like that, but also perhaps not all well uh, in terms of some of the senior players and how they think about Mr. Choffey. I think it's fair to say that we have not been convinced by this Crawley side all season. Uh, and so one to keep an eye on there, guys. Uh, Berry couldn't get past Grimsby. That one was nil-nil. Um, not that a draw and a clean sheet away from home is is a bad result, by the way, but uh, it does mean that Lincoln now have an eight-point gap, having played one game more over Berry. Mansfield, as you mentioned, they've dropped points again. A loss at home to Crewe. Unbelievably surprising, this one. And not just because uh, I thought they were going to win and picked it on the betting show, but you know, they'd lost two out of 19 home games and Crewe had won two out of 19 home games. But there's a vulnerability to Mansfield. For, we, we, we've never quite been able to put our, our finger on, on what it is and why it is. The but, manager. But maybe it's the manager. Flickcroft himself... <laughs> I thought this was interesting as well. He said, they've let themselves down today as a group. They've not run for each other on and off the ball. Now, I would suggest that that is a dangerous quote at this stage of the season. Especially
1: given the talent they've got on their squad, who would the board, who would the fans rather dispense with? You know, the light, the, their attacking talent or, or the manager? There's no question in my book.
0: Well, they lost to Notts County the other day, didn't they? And it was desperately poor performance. And there was a, a sense that the players didn't want it enough, which just seems so surprising at this stage of the season in the position that they're in. After last season's disappointment as well, I would suggest that if I was a player and the manager said, we've not run for each other on and off the ball, that's different to saying they had an off day or they didn't <clears throat> execute what he, what he wanted them to going forward or at the back or something That's a, it's a, it seems a bit more personal to me so interesting to see how Mansfield react in the coming weeks who else have we got we should talk about MK Dons I think there's, there's not too much to expand on here Trix and EK scored a nice goal for them they won 2-0 against Yeovil and they are now in the driving seat in terms of the automatic promotion place. but the defeat for Yeovil at Stadium MK led to or not just that defeat, but rather what's happened over the last three or four months, has led to Darren Way being sacked. And um, we've we've spoken plenty about Darren Way. It's not a surprise for us, George, is it? It's uh, not necessarily something that will lead to their imminent safety. It's not necessarily something that will lead to their imminent relegation, but this could have happened or it felt like it could have happened uh, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago.
1: Yeah, you've got to wonder the kind of the financials of this because um, because of the new deal he was given back in November. So he had a uh, contract.
0: They said until at least June twenty twenty one. So two more seasons past this, as you say, that that if it is a sacking, that is not a cheap sacking.
1: No, um, the the link, the early link, at least in the in, in the betting markets, is Daryl Clark, mm-hmm. um, which geographically would make sense. You'd probably think. You know, he, he's already d- been there, done that, and taking a team down and having to get them back up again. You, you, to the to the national league. You might think that there'd be a bit of a clause in there saying that if they, if he can't keep them up, um, you know, they'll part ways. Because I'm pretty sure he could get a job at a slightly higher um, echelon than, um, than, than than. I don't think he's
0: taking that. I just don't think he's. Take- well, you know him, mate. You know, <laughs> I'll send him a text. Your, your mate Daryl. And
1: um, but it might, as I say, it might be a good job just to take to now to the end of the season. If he keeps them up, brilliant job, another string to his bow. If he doesn't. Not his fault. Yeah, um, and it's local, and and it, feels like the kind of club with a new owner who could do with someone like Daryl Clark, who just comes in and just is given free rein to, you know, sprinkle a bit of a bit, bit of magic dust over it all because it all feels a bit tired. It does,
0: doesn't it? And apparently, it was it was the outgoing owner, uh, Mr. Fry. It was, it was his decision to sack the manager. So that's kind of interesting. The new guy clearly not you know not fully settled in the seat, as it were. Uh, at the moment, I think you know we've said a lot about Darren Way, so it would feel um, it would feel a bit harsh just to slam him here. So I think it's probably worth mentioning that that when we say that we think a manager's not doing well, when we say that we think a manager should go, or we think their tenure has been bad and that they can't turn it around, it doesn't mean that no one else is to blame. And for whatever reason, in the media and on this podcast as well, we don't spend much of a proportion of the time talking about those making decisions at board level and and how they've got it wrong as well, maybe we should do more of that, I mean it is up to those running clubs to understand who is right for them, who they can afford to provide a clear remit for a manager, to explain that remit to the fans, to communicate with the fans, that can make a huge difference as well, to give the manager a foundation to succeed um, to support that manager as much as they can as long as they're fulfilling that remit um, and not to make strange decisions on a whim. And and you can't say that Yeovil, at that level, have been making the right footballing decisions for the last few years. They've been on a, a downward spiral and they've got seven games to make sure that doesn't end in them dropping down to the National League. Forest Green beat Port Vale 2-0 uh, with Colchester losing and Carlisle drawing. This was a very valuable win for, for, for Forest Green, who are so good away from home. Reece Brown and Norman Smirthwaite are the two names to discuss here. The tenth goal of the season for Reece Brown, also contract up in the summer. Him and Norwood, they're going to be the big sort of bargains this summer, I guess. Well, I,
1: I think there's still a chance that Norwood could stay if they go up. Fair point. Um, and possibly I mean, Brown's probably less likely, I think.
0: Different profiles, isn't it? Norwood spent his career in non-league so far. Brown was a, a, a starlet, really, of the Birmingham academy. Uh, and never quite made the grade, the the normal sort of question marks about attitude at that age and stuff. Well, he certainly earned his shot at least at League One level. It'd be interesting, given his technical quality, given what he can do on the ball and some of the goals he scored recently as well from central midfield. You know, that's the sort of skill set that plenty of teams in the championship will will fancy looking into. Uh, Norman Smurthwaite is the Port Vale chairman. He has been at loggerheads with the fans for the last few weeks. He has a, a, a seemingly quite a large ego and that ego's been wounded and he has said that he will not put a penny more into the club post the 5th of May so if they don't find uh, or if he doesn't accept a bid essentially and find another owner um, and he's been rejecting bids from a local business who have been trying to buy the club for the last few months saying that he hasn't seen proof of funds and that the bids are not acceptable. Well, if they don't find a buyer by the 5th of May then the club could well be put into administration. That could have a knock-on effect in terms of points deductions, etc. How often do we see this? Uh, someone taking over a club and essentially either not understanding what it's going to what it's going to take, not not understanding how much of a financial strain it's going to put on them, not understanding perhaps how best to to keep the club on an even footing, uh, to keep it stable. And then having an issue when things start to go wrong and, and start having their, their ownership of the club, their stewardship of the club questioned. Norman Smirthwaite seems here to have taken it to a, a, an extreme and, and his comments on local radio were amazing on Saturday. It really was incredible to listen to someone uh, talking in that way, but it's a bit of a mess at the moment. The big hope is that this local business uh, can provide an offer that he will accept the difficulty is that he owns the stadium separately to the football club and it seems like it's unlikely he'll sell the stadium so uh, there might be a, a situation that Oxford are in George, which I'm sure you can confirm is not ideal where uh, the, the club could be owned by someone and the former chairman could own the stadium and they would have to pay rent to him so not a good situation there uh, Not's County, George They played against Exeter for 70 minutes against 10 men and they barely created a chance. Add insult to injury, they conceded right at the end. Doomed seems to be the word that people are using.
1: Yeah, that little brief renaissance seemed to be short-lived, sadly. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's an appalling performance on Saturday to not be able to, to, uh, given the position that that they're in at home, um, to, to not use that slice of luck to their advantage It was not good um, And any threat of, of, of that um, unlikely survival Seems to have fizzled out
0: Carlisle uh, could only draw on the weekend and, and they're in a pretty poor run of form Just one win in nine Which, you know, not to blow anyone's trumpet But given I, I, I went back to your poor Lincoln Vulnerable League leaders uh, prediction. I will mention... My that poor
1: prediction again.
0: It, that was poor. Uh, they are going to win the league. Uh, I, I, it's only fair to mention that you never felt convinced about Carlisle and you were you were quite vocal about that and you had a, a really enjoyable bit of kickback online from Carlisle fans who couldn't see what you saw. But, but uh, it, on the current form, we're one win in nine. It looks like they are falling away three points now off the playoffs behind Exeter and have played a game more. If the playoffs started tomorrow, George... I think it'd be quite fun. Mansfield would play Exeter. Exeter going for their third playoff appearance in a row, lost in the final the last two. And Tranmere against Forest Green would be super tasty.
1: Yeah, I think you'd have to side on current form with the with the top two there. But um, but as you say, loads of teams going for it. And you know, we're talking about it as if we're at the end of the season. There's a lot. There's a lot of footballs to be played and. I think Tramir Tramir fans, especially right now, would would say to you, can you not lump us in there? Because we have slightly higher aspirations.
0: Yeah, fair point. There's a pretty good, uh, well, it's a pretty bad record for teams who suddenly get flagged up on the pod, suddenly go on everyone's (laughs) on the radar, Coventry being a good recent example. Um, Cambridge were the team that drew with Carlisle, and they could have won it in the end. Giovanni Brown missed a big chance at the end. Just a reminder, we spoke about it at the top of the podcast that Giovanni Brown is one of six or seven players being added to the Football Index platform this week. We think Thursday morning is the day for it. Um, I probably haven't sold him that well, saying that he missed a, a big chance at the end there. But he's a skillful player. A lot of League Two observers really rate him and think that with his technical ability, um, if he can improve uh, his consistency, then he, he could play at a higher level. So it could be one to watch. Reese Brown, we spoke about earlier, he is on the platform at the moment um, at a price that I think is... is you know, pretty attractive for a player that we think might be playing at a higher level. Uh, Remains to be seen how far these guys can go. Swindon binned off Morecambe, 4-0, Morecambe rather rolled over here. Kieran Swindon fan said, couldn't tell you much about Morecambe because from what I saw, I'm not sure they even turned up. And lastly, Stevenage and Macclesfield drew. Cheltenham's impressive home form continued with a win against Northampton and Joe, Cheltenham fan, flags up Luke Varney. He's been banging them in for Cheltenham recently they need to get him on a new contract for next season 13 for the season now a very impressive um, minutes per goal ratio as well um thanks for that george you, you enjoy that one yeah it's quite long but it was good it was quite long but we enjoyed talking about league one league <laughs> two enjoyed talking to colin about uh league one and league two getting a bit more airtime on quest thanks very much for joining us guys we will be back on thursday with a betting show previewing the efl weekend uh it's it's a continued joy to talk about the EFL to you, and we hope that you enjoy it. Please share it if you do, and we'll talk again very soon.